Every now and then, we get out of our office and really hit the road. This time, PJ and Clint and a few others from the Princess Craft team actually made it all the way out to Elkhart, Indiana for the big outdoor RV dealership super show. I think they call it open house, actually. And we run into fantastic people, usually from the business, but every now and then, you find someone unexpected. And this time in Elkhart, we, we ran into John Rattensperger. You may know him from all kinds of voiceover from Pixar. He, he did uh, The Pig from Toy Story. He did Mac the Truck from Cars. He was also Cliff on Cheers. You may not have known how many movies he has. Go ahead, go ahead, look him up. He has so many movie credits. Turns out, John Rattensperger is an avid RVer. And we ran into him at the little guy booth, the little guy set up at Elkhart. Now, little guy, you may come to, you may remember they make the Max trailers and the Mini Max and now the Micro Max. Do check them out as well. But let's go ahead and dive into this interview, this conversation that PJ had in a little guy Max in Elkhart with Mr. John Rattensperger. Well, uh, I guess I start by saying, hi, John. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for hanging out with us. Not at all, PJ. I know that you are working with Little Guy Trailers, so that's how we ran into you. What does PJ stand for? Patricia Jean. Irish? Hmm. Well... I, you know, maybe a little drunken Irish. We, uh, my parents were at a party and uh, my mother went into labor and I was born in a little house down the street about I two in the morning. I thought you were going to tell a story of how you were conceived. No, I'm not telling that story. I don't know that story. Thank the, goodness. I'll buy the dumpster behind the bowling alley. <laughs> no, but I can tell you the impar- entire party moved down to this house where I was born and my father said, yes, we're going to name her Patricia. And my grandfather said, oh, that's lovely. And my father just couldn't stand that he made my grandfather happy. So he had to upset him by saying, yeah, we'll just call her PJ. He said, oh, no, you can't do that. And I have never once in my life been called anything but PJ since then. So, no kid. And now is grandfather Irish? My grandfather was basically British. And my grandmother was German. So ah, that's very good. I know it well, and it was New Jersey, so I guess everybody's a little of everything, right? In right. New Jersey, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a state of mutts. Yes, yes, and so uh, I'm a New Jersey girl. Don't tell anybody. Okay, uh, you think it's safe with me? Safe with you, yeah. Moved to Houston when I was two, so I'm a Texan. I don't know any better. Do you know Snooky? Snooky. Yeah. Who's Snooky? What the Jersey Shore people? Oh no. No, oh, okay. I, I mean, like I said, I don't know anything about New Jersey. Okay. I wasn't. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I would love to, though. Where are you from? Connecticut. Connecticut. So you know all about Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> the a whole northeast. Bit, a little bit. I was uh, grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which happens to be. And I didn't know this at the time. Right in the middle of from New Haven along the coast of Connecticut to New York is said to be the best pizza in the world. Wow. According to the New York Times food people. Well. They did a research for a couple of years 
And that southern coast of Connecticut right there, supposed to be the best pizza in the world. Well, I just came from Chicago and I had pizza twice. And I promise you, neither place was the best pizza I've ever had. I was so disappointed. So, no, New York Times did a two-year study. Well, then I need to All go to Connecticut. <laughs> you do. By being grown up in the middle of it, to me, it was just pizza. And I started traveling. I left home about 18. You know, went to Europe and this and that. I lived there 10 years. And I always wondered, why can't anybody make a good pizza? Yeah. Because you came from the best pizza. Didn't know that. Now you know. The things you learn when you travel, right? Exactly. <laughs> so why'd you go to Europe for 10 years? I was a carpenter at the time. And uh, oh. a buddy of mine uh, lived there in London and sent me a postcard from time to time. Say, oh, you ever come and visit and this and that. So finally I did. Okay. And I ended up staying 10 years. Where? London. Uh, and worked as a carpenter in London. For a little bit, and then he and I put together a two-man comedy show um, called Sal's Meat Market. <laughs> and we're, at, we're actually, there's a whole page dedicated to us in the history of the British theater. Really? Yeah, yeah. And we were influential with a bunch of people. Oh, the Monty Python guys actually used to come see our shows. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, at the Bush Theater in uh part of town was that near White City near where the BBC is anyway uh, yeah so we toured our shows all through Europe for seven or eight years and I did a lot of films over there you know, like Empire Strikes Back and Superman and Gandhi and uh, no, I did about 30 films over there uh, in that first 10 years within it was usually a lot in the 70s because what happened was the dollar was very strong against the pound uh-huh and consequently, a lot of American movies were made over there at the time. Uh, Ragtime, for instance, big novel. Right, that right. Was, that was made over there. I was in that. And so I can actually say I worked with James Cagney. Oh, that's exciting. Because he, he was in that. And old Burt Lancaster. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, these are, when they're older in these films, and I was younger. Right. Uh, you know, just starting these films, but I got to uh, work with a lot of legends. Well, your list is quite extensive. I do know that. Um, and, you know, most people just know you from Cliff. Yeah. Uh, and maybe some voices on the Pixar movies, but you have done a ton of work. Uh -huh. And so... I, you probably ask this question all the time. Maybe I should be a little more creative, but... I mean, who impressed you the most over all these years of doing so many different things? Who who would you say, wow, this was really a special moment for me, or I really loved working with this person? Do you have anybody that, like, well, me? Well, yeah, there's no, no, a few. Um, because then there was no such thing as, a, what do they call it, Video Village? You know, the, the current directors, uh, Spielbergs, Ron Howard, etc. Uh-huh. Well, they're filming, they're about 50, 60 feet away from the actors in this little video village looking at a tiny screen like this. Right. That's no way to direct. But then before video village, here's the camera, here's the director. They're standing right there with you. Looking right in the actor's eyes. Uh-huh. Because that's what's going to be on the screen, 40 feet tall. Right. And that's where the story 
exists. Exactly. So all the good directors, I worked with uh, John Schlesinger quite a bit. Wow. Uh, he did, uh, you know, Midnight Cowboy. Right. That was one of his. Right. Uh, Robert Aldrich. Yep. Which he was, uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane. Mm-hmm. So all these, uh, Milos Foreman, um, but all of them were right next to the camera watching the actor. There was no video village. And I see a difference in the quality, especially with extras. Then the extras actually reacted to the action of the main characters. Like if there's a fight or an argument in a restaurant, the extras are kind of, you don't see that anymore. Really? You know, I've never noticed that. I'll have to watch for it. So now you think the extras are just... They don't pay attention. In the background and not, not paying attention and becoming part of the scene. Right, because the director's not helping them. Right. The director doesn't even consider them because all he's seeing is the lead actors this big. So the extras are this big. Ah. Uh, he's not paying attention. Interesting. But if you stand right next to the camera, it's a big difference. Wow. Huh. Never thought about that. Well, it's a good thing we're here. Yes, now I know. I'm learning a lot. I learned a lot even before we turned the mics on. So, you know, we may have to circle back. Okay. Um, because really, you know, that's what we're all here for is to learn a little bit more and make another connection, I think. There you go. You know, that's the point of it all. And uh, you've just had so many amazing experiences. I have. So. I have. And uh, my daughter keeps after me to sort of write them down and write a book uh-huh. and this and that. But. One day. One day? Well, you know, in this age of technology, you don't have to write a book. You just have to talk about it enough. Someone else can write the book, right? Nah, you know, yeah. I tried that once. I have one book out, but it was with, with another writer. Uh-huh. And it didn't quite capture the, what just I wanted it to. What you wanted to say? It wasn't in your voice. No, I mean, some of it was, but, it, 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 you know. When you make a meal, you want it to be just right. Uh-huh. Same thing with the right. You just, it's got to, you know, crackle. Yeah. And uh, so I may get back to it. Well, you know, that's, I guess I thought, I we all have preconceived notions. And I thought when we come and sit down and talk to you, you know, you're going to be a happy-go-lucky guy. You're going to be, you know, just all full of dad jokes and silly and really not have that much interest in, what's going on in the world the history of things making it perfect just kind of having fun because that's the character that you portray a lot of times yeah but that was my job exactly exactly so but a lot of people i think we make those assumptions when we see actors because everybody does yeah so i just had a guy come over here a little while ago (laughs) hey cliff and i said is there a make-believe name i can call you (laughs) i know that's got to be frustrating. You know, it, it, in the beginning it was, but now it's... You just what, kinda, what, what am yeah. I going to do? Yeah. That's it's not, it's not worth my time to yeah. you know, think about it. Well, that's true. And, you know, I can't tell you uh, the first time that I saw some of the movies that I know you were in, even the recent ones. But I can tell you, I remember where I was the first time I saw Cheers. So... That's, to, that's a good headline. Yeah, is it? <laughs> I remember where I was when I first saw Cheers. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, 
we also remember the tragic times and where we were when things happened, but it made an impression on me for some reason. And it, you know, just made an impression. So I remember that. Uh, would you like to hear my theory of why it yes, made an impression? Yes, I would, I would love it. Back then. Huh? Okay, so the writers were in their 30s, 40s. And if you go 30 years prior to that, they and we all grew up reading books. Right, right, that's true. The present writers today have grown up watching television and playing video games. Okay. So the writers then, you know, with uh, uh, Cheers, MASH, you know, the list of what was going on, they understood character development, story arc, because their book, their, their foundations were books. And it's, it's hard, to, even the, the writers now that are working, it's tough to get them to dig really deep and, you know, what's going on in the world or, yeah. you know, connections. And everything's surface. And those, all the jokes you see on present-day sitcoms are jokes they saw on the old sitcoms. <laughs> they saw them already. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, well, it all I, has to do with books. Huh. I do feel like, uh, I do feel like at that period, the shows like you mentioned, like MASH and Cheers and all of that, it was kind of a reaction to the world being so dramatic and having a lot of struggles and all of a sudden there was this wave of comedy that kind of related to some of that but made light of it and and it it was entertaining and people could connect to it you know and i think that's that's unusual and it hadn't happened before so that's what i remember is that it was kind of a fresh look the at, idea of people like the vietnam war you mean and yeah yeah absolutely you know, we were still trying to find our way out of that in a lot of struggling times. Um, so that's that's kind of how I saw it. And I thought it was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it's just, I, I, for a lot of that, I blame uh, Pearl Harbor. Pearl World, Harbor? Yeah, World War II. Don't forget, there was a big war. And hundreds and thousands of our parents yes. went off to that yes. war. And they came back. Yep. And there was no such thing as PTSD. Right. It was called shell shock. Right. And you were expected to get over it. That's right. So a lot of the parents went to the local bar. And so a lot of the parents, basically a lot of our parents are drunks. And so that authority figure that we should honor, we made fun of. If you look at the early Saturday Night Lives, the parents were always being made fun of. And that's a result of World War II. And there was no such thing as help for PTSD. Mm -hmm. That's true. And so there's a that's lot true. of drunks. And a lot of drunks raised kids that became the Woodstock Nation. Hmm. The defiance of authority. You know, turn the world upside down. Because yeah. they had no guidance. Right. Boom. Right. Well, and the World War II parents came out of World War II just to... Uh, make a good living and and oh, do to. better than their kid than their parents did and that was their job yeah well that's the kids that didn't fall into the yeah. the mystique of the uh the hippie generation yeah but 
that's where a lot of the nonsense comes from, the new age stuff. Well, when you were doing the the entertainment through your life, did it ever feel like you were part of that social group that was making I, fun uh, of parents? As a carpenter, or? one of my jobs was helping build a stage in Woodstock. Really? Oh, man. That's a that's a great nugget of information. You built this help build the stage at Woodstock. Yeah, I was a heavy equipment operator and a carpenter uh-huh. in, in Woodstock, the festival. So I was there a week or two before it started and stayed about a week after. Uh-huh. So you were part of that experience. Yeah. Yeah, you've been through it all. But to me, it was just a job. <laughs> Actually, it was just a job. Interesting. Were you funny back then as a carpenter? Were you entertaining? Um, no, I was more in awe of these guys, especially the French Canadians. Man, they were good carpenters and some Italian guys. But the French Canadians were nuts. Like during World War II, which we're talking about, they in Europe, they would send, send the French Canadian troops out first against the Germans because if the Germans knew that they were French Canadian, the Germans had, they wanted nothing to do with that. And they would go around them or retreat because they were so, wow. they were so nuts and ferocious. <laughs> wow. That's French Canadian. That's a, a well-kept secret of World War II. Nobody talks about that. I don't know why. Yeah. I, but they were they, they were revered by the, by the rest of our troops because they had no fear. And it was the same. So I was working as a carpenter with these French Canadian guys on different projects. I'm not Woodstock, but other things around New England. And uh, they just had no fear. Wow. I, I, I was amazed walking on scaffoldings with a big box of nails whistling as the scaffolding is bouncing as they're walking. There's like three, four stories in the air. You know, I, on the same scaffolding, I'm on my hands and knees holding on. <laughs> For dear life. For dear life, yeah. <laughs> and these guys would bounce around and whistle and, hey, John, how you doing? You know, it's... Uh, but anyway, yeah. I don't know how we got there. I don't know how we got there either, but uh, it, it's great fun. I, I don't know. I feel like we could talk for hours about all your experiences. Will okay. you write that book? Because I would love to hear that. I got no. But you got to catch a plane eventually. I, I, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I got a couple hours. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, I guess the reason we're sitting here, I guess we should talk about camping a little. So, well, let me say there he is right there. There's the guy who owns the company. I know. There's Joe. I'll holler at Joe at some point, yeah, get him yeah. on here to chat about things. So we're here sitting in a little guy, Max, because you have a little guy, Max. I do. Yeah. Dude, when I picked it up at the factory, my son and I brought it from Pennsylvania to uh, Southern California. Sounds lovely. So how'd you, have you always camped? Have you camped before? What's your camping history? <laughs> I mean, any camping history. <laughs> uh, it, I look at it more, more like uh, I'm, I'm the son of my father, and I, I have his DNA. He was a truck driver for 36 years. Wow! And it's and I just I like driving. 
and for some reason I enjoy to towing things. Uh, just because I feel like that's a function of somebody. I'm doing something. I'm not passive. I'm active. Yeah. And this, when I went and looked at these, this is my carpentry background. Like this wood here. Uh-huh. That's all solid wood. It's yeah. Not, it's not fiberboard. Right. All this stuff. And you don't find that a lot. And even in the drawers right there, they have uh, dovetail joints. Do you know what that is? I do. Well, yeah. all the other companies to achieve the same thing use staples. Which two or three years are falling apart. Right. They rattle loose as you drag it down the road, right? Yeah. The dovetail joint, it's going to be there 30 years from now. Uh-huh. So knowing the philosophy of builders, if they took that much uh, effort for something that's such a small detail, uh-huh. then the rest of it's going to be put together well. Uh-huh. So they'll put as much effort into the selecting and because everything's quality in these. Uh-huh. So that's what I went for. Well, cool. Did you just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll have a trailer? Um, have you had one before this? Oh, yeah. Oh, so you've had lots of trailers. No, it's mostly boats. My my uh, Achilles heel is boats. <laughs> um, now we're learning something. Yeah. Uh, Big boats, the, little boats, fast uh, boats. The biggest is 42 foot. Uh-huh. Those are Grand Banks. Again, it was the same thing. I like the way it was built. Because mm-hmm. you're out at sea, your life depends on it. Right. Uh, right. Makes sense. I had a rowboat built in uh, Lowell's Boat Shop in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And they're the oldest existing wooden boat builder in the country. They built boats the Revolutionary War. Same spot, same type of boat. So they built one for me that had a uh, cat boat, Gaftrig uh, cat boat, built up in Washington State, built it named Sam Devlin. And uh, I usually have, yeah, uh, yeah. But they're quality boats, ones that'll last forever. Yeah. So not a specific boat that you love, all boats, all kinds of boats, just quality. It's, it's, it's like anything, it's the way it was built. I mean, even yeah. in houses, I was uh, house shopping a while, a while back. But if I didn't like the sound of the front door when you closed it, I wouldn't even bother looking at the that house. That wasn't your house. I wouldn't even bother going into the house. Wow. The realtor say, well, come in. Let's look in the kitchen. And the front door didn't sound right. I said, no, why? why? Yeah, because every time you walked in, you would be going, oh, didn't right. Well, it's just kind of like a tink. <laughs> you want a door that's like shut like a castle door. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And the hardware, the locks, and the doorknobs. It's all important stuff because that's the detail. That's what you look for when you're purchasing anything. Yeah. So how's the door shut on your Macs? Try it. Well, let me see. Let's listen to the sound of the door. Oops, I didn't do that very well. Let me try again. That's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. That's solid. Yeah. So some people would be thinking, why don't you get this giant motorhome and you can have this or this 
big luxurious trailer that's 32 feet long that has why i don't know why yeah why (laughs) (laughs) the big question why Uh, do you not want something super big and luxurious is there a reason for a small one why why would i for my life and lifestyle and my family this is fine yeah. And then if we want to, if we're on the road, and it just happen where, you know, let's, let's go for a little luxury and all, all that. We'll put one to a hotel. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that's a natural question for some people because, you know, somebody with uh, a little bit of fame and notoriety, they're thinking you must have a 32-foot Globetrotter Airstream, you know. Oh, I owned an Airstream when the kids were younger, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, I think it was 32. <laughs> yeah, but if you're traveling with kids, that's that's a big family. I mean, you got you to gotta get them somewhere. So you've had all levels of quality. This just suits your style right now, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is, as a matter of fact, when, when we were coming back from Pennsylvania, my son Jim and I, uh, pulling one of these, pulled into a, uh, was on Route 8 in Arizona. It was at uh, a truck stop. Uh-huh. And I noticed this woman parked not too far away had a backseat full of puppies. <laughs> and I was just a curiosity. I said, what, what's, what's the, oh, well, these are spoken for except that one. And so we had a puppy. You got a puppy at a truck stop? Yeah. Oh, John, that's great. What a great story. So would you name this pup? Uh, um, um, I can't remember. No, 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 I I can remember. Is it yours or is it Jim's? I named her Maggie. Maggie. But I found, you know, I'm busy and, and, and flying off here and flying off there. <laughs> it wasn't fair to the dog. Uh-huh. I'm always saying to friends, hey, can you watch the dog? You know? uh-huh. So I gave her to my niece, uh-huh. who's uh, 12. Uh-huh. He has a younger brother who's seven. And it was perfect. Oh, Maggie has a good home. But it's Molly now. Okay. <laughs> Maggie's now Molly. Yeah, no wonder so, you had trouble thinking of it. Yeah, that's the reason. <laughs> that's a name change. It was the name change. So, yeah, Maggie became Molly. And uh, it was just a wonderful animal. Oh, how much fun. You know, you, so many fun things happen when you travel in a trailer. Where have you camped recently that you've enjoyed? You know, I enjoy the KOA places when you're on the road. They really do a nice job. They do a great job. And, they you do. know, they make it really carefree because when you pull in they're organized yep. they're clean you're not like smashed up against somebody else they uh-huh. have all the amenities if you forget something there's always a little store and uh-huh. they're really nice koas i think do a great job there's some uh that i've stayed at that have tons of trees and it's just it's kind of like being in a neighborhood yeah and they have those cabins you can rent mm-hmm. um but yeah, I enjoy the, the KOAs. And I don't know that that's everybody's style, but it's a it's a nice break. Yeah. That's a good part about traveling with a trailer. You can kind of make it whatever you want, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And also, it's a good uh, little guest 
place, you know, for home. Yeah. So at home, have you had guests stay in your max? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they want their own space. They get their own little trailer hotel. I, yeah, I would prefer it to, rather than staying in somebody's house. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, with this, you can wander around in your PJs and BVDs. <laughs> and you can't really do that in somebody else's home. That's true. That's true. Okay, well, when you come to Texas, we'll be sure and put out a trailer for you. Okay. There you go. Well, have Shipley's Donuts. And Shipley's Donuts. We do have Shipley's in Austin, don't we, Clint? Yeah, we have Shipley's there. I don't eat as many now, but, oh, man. Yeah. Such a great thing. That was our Sunday treat. Was it really? Absolutely. Yeah. Every Sunday, we got Shipley's Donuts. So, that so was... I'm heading to Houston now in a couple hours. That's where I'm at, so... Yeah. I'll load up on Shipley's when I get there. Yeah. Do you carry them on the plane, too? You pack your little suitcase? Yeah, I haven't yet. I don't think they carry well. Yeah. Probably not a good idea. Yeah, then I won't. Yeah, yeah. My suggestion is, yeah, pass on that. Well, thank you for that yes, suggestion. That, that tidbit of information on Shipley's Donuts. Do you have a dog? Uh, I don't. I have had dogs for like 30 or 40 years. And uh, our last one died recently. And we have not gotten... I've been dogless... For the first time in my adult life. Oh. So, yeah. Right. Maybe so I need do. to go to a truck stop and look around. I, I Well, traveling, because like I said, I, I drive a lot. And, uh, but I, I bet you every once or twice in 10 days, you see a stray. Yep. Yep, oh, they're everywhere. So, yeah, they're out there. They're out there, yeah. Yeah, Princess Craft, uh, for years, did a a video on all the dogs that they couldn't rehome. They had dogs that- Who did that? For, we did, our, our 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 dealership, what's that called? But we did videos for the dogs that couldn't find homes. So we're very well connected with the dogs. We love all the dogs at our place. Um, so I appreciate your time, but before we wander off and talk to more people, I know that there's a lot more to you than just acting. I know that that is what you're known oh, for. This, that's the last thing I thought I'd ever do. Really? You know, oh, yeah. Then, then how did how did that become your career? Well, you, you, you do too. It's well, like I said, we did a stage show right? all through Europe, making Europeans laugh. Uh huh. And, and we didn't speak their language, and most of our shows improvised. So that's crazy. I mean, who yeah, would think, you know, hey, let's make a living this no, way? No one has ever done what we <laughs> what we accomplished, ever. Wow. Is there videos of it? Is there recordings to well, see? Yeah, not really. Nothing anywhere? Because we were existential hippies, you know. Right. And, and Darn. That would have been fun. But there's, I mean, there's memories of it. People have written about us. Wow. And the influence we had on other uh, comedians of the time. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was during that time I thought, this is great, you know, get up stage, goof around, get money for it. <laughs> but I never went to acting school or uh, took it seriously <laughs> like you could make a living at it. But Well, you did pretty well for nobody who took it seriously. I mean, maybe I, that's the trick. I, I, you know, I've thought about that a lot, and it comes out that that's what Zen is. Ah. Uh. Don't get in your own way. 
Because I'm an archer since I was 12. Uh-huh. I studied Zen archery. And uh, and that's basically what Zen archery is, or any any sport really. Don't get in your own way. Wow! You know, I've many times I do plays, you know, with on stage and stuff. And uh, I remember one time in London, I was at the Royal Court Theatre doing a play, and one of the English actors came after all came and said, "John, it's uncanny. You you're actually asleep before you go on stage." And I do that. You just take a nap? Yeah. So they thought you needed to be sitting there concentrating and kind of getting in the mindset. Sweating. Working up to it and getting nervous. Right. And so, again, because I never went to acting school and I didn't have any training. For me, it's like, well, I know what to do. I go out there and I do what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well be rested. Uh, yeah, but I don't even, my thought process doesn't even go that far. Uh, so, well, just live in the moment. That's funny. Live in the moment. I, I guess that's, that's a good way to put it, but it's, yeah, it's just uh, don't get in your own way. So, offers just came to you, and all of these things, you were just out there and people found you. You didn't ever jump in and say, hey, I really want to be a serious actor. Really? Man, that's amazing. I invented the character of Cliff in the audition. How did that happen? Well, I was writing, um, I got asked to come to Los Angeles to write something for CBS. It was a late night show based on the Emperor Nero. And while I was doing that, the Cheers audition came up and I knew a guy who was an agent. And he said, well, I'll get you. I know the guy. Okay. So I go and again, you know, I have to preface all this by saying I never went to acting school. I don't know the process. It was all uh, on the job training for me. So I go in and I didn't know what a side was. I never auditioned in my life. I don't know what a side is. Again, there you go. It's just the pages that they want you to memorize and perform okay. of the show that they're putting together. Okay, that's and side. that's called a side. Okay. So, and then the guy handed me a couple of pages. Oh, oh, oh. Stuck in my pocket, hands in the waiting room for the, because there are other actors that <laughs> fell asleep. You took a nap. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And, I, you know, they called me in. I was looking around and uh, one of the producers says, what are you looking for? I said, well, a chair. Because they were all sitting. Uh-huh. I says, you know, need another chair. I said, he says, you're not here to chat. You're here to audition. Oh, okay. I'm starting <laughs> to get it here. And uh, uh, in a way, just the blood drained out of me because I... I said, oh, that's what these pages are for. I, so I did a bad job trying to read what they wrote and this and that. Not their fault, my fault completely. And um, so as I was walking out the door, I just turned and I said, do you have a bar no at all? And they stopped. I said, well, what are you talking about? I said, look, I come from New England. Every bar has got a horse's ass that thinks they know everything. And do you have one in your bar? It's set in Boston. 
And there's never two horses' asses. They're like gunslingers. Because they can't tolerate each other. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so uh, one of the producers said, you know, when he said, what are you talking about? I said, you know, the kind of guy, and I looked around, there was a, a big pen on his desk. And we said, you know, the kind of guy goes, you know, this is a, a, called a big pen, B-I-C, but originally it was two brothers from France whose last name was Biche, B-I-C-H, and they called it the Biche pen. And someone finally said, that, well, you know, in America, it sounds like you're saying bitch. And so they took off the H, and that's what the big pen is about. Now, that's true fact. <laughs> but I did it in a way that it's like, you know. Hey, it you was know, fairly they, obnoxious. Yeah, a little, little known fact. <laughs> you know, it's a little known fact that, uh, you know, Nero, you know, didn't play the harp. He was an actor. Well, this is true, too. And he was auditioning anyway when Rome burned. Um, that's funny. But two days later, I got the call. They wanted to try the know-it-all character out for seven episodes. It's great. Okay. So they wrote you in. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I'm telling you, I think the book is a great idea. And uh, I am with your kids saying, yeah, you need to put this down. Just great stories that people need to, people would love to hear. Need probably isn't the word, but yeah, enjoy. Well, I, I, enjoy. Oh, okay. Yeah. They just enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I just, but to me, I think, well, why would you bother? Read about Winston Churchill, who actually yeah. achieved something. Well, I get that. You I know? get that. But you know what? There's something to be said for... Jonas Salk. You know. Well, oh, absolutely. And those books have been written. Okay. Right? So they're already out there. Right. But, you know, sometimes it's just there's a lightness to life that's fun. Okay. And I think it's important. Well, you know, we can just uh, send this interview around. Yeah. And they don't have to read it all. <laughs> well, then they'll only know one or two things. They yeah. won't know all the millions of things that are floating around in your head from all of your Oh, that's, that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't even know where to start there. There, I know, I know. Um, so, one more thing that I want to talk about, and we talked about it before we turned the mics on, but there's some other things that you've been involved in, and some, uh, you mentioned a, a foundation, and a few other things. You know, for people who maybe only know one little sliver of you they know that you're funny they know that you're lighthearted and entertaining you're a pretty serious guy i suspect i mean yeah, I've, yeah, no yeah, I've known you for 20 minutes so i think no. i've got a total read right you know but i think you know you you have a serious corner to you and oh, so absolutely yeah. yeah can i you know i would like to be sure that people know about that because you have a voice at this moment with maybe a group that doesn't know about it. So tell me about your foundation and tell me about uh, anything else like that that people might need to connect to. Well, to. the foundation is nuts, bolts, and thingamajigs. And it was started so that young people uh, could learn how to operate machinery, could be taught what the difference between a, a vice grip and a ball peen hammer is. 
And while it doesn't sound important, it's the most important thing because civilization is nothing more than putting nuts and bolts together. That's, that's why I named it that. Now, the foundation itself is now run by uh, another organization, a manufacturer's mm -hmm. organization. So I've stepped away from it because they had the infrastructure and they had the people to dedicate towards it. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it's doing very well. Good, good. Yeah. And it's Nuts and Bolts and Thingamajigs. Nuts, Bolts and Thingamajigs Foundation, yeah. Oh, well, that sounds like your name. A name that you would pick. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I, impressed. <laughs> I, I came up with that name, yeah. And I, you know, we talked a little bit, um, like I said before, we turned the mics on about, you know, you come, you're a carpenter. Uh, yeah. You have a lot of respect for people who are tradesmen. And well, uh, I, always, uh, it was a head scratcher to me of why everybody doesn't have respect for the plumber and the welder and because right. without them we couldn't right. function yes that's everything true. that we do we couldn't do if we got rid of people who actually make things and fix things right they're the important people they're the essential people right the rest of it's uh, icing on the cake you know, even in the RV business, uh, that is something that's a head scratcher for me, too. We interview people to come into work, and the most important person in our business is the technician that repairs them. Sure. And I'll interview people with a full technical background, and I could bring them in, and I say, what's your ultimate goal? And they say, I want to be a salesman. What? 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 It's so baffling to me uh, that they feel like a technician is not only harder work, but it's more challenging and they feel like it doesn't have as much respect as say, a salesman. In America, it doesn't. And that's that's unfortunate because they are the nuts and bolts of this industry that keep it running. Right. Without them, nothing happens. Yeah, it's you'll, true. You'll be selling nothing. Nothing will be in the parking lot. That's right. It would be just air. But without the technical people that know how to shape and bend metal and uh, you know, invent uh, you know, the curvature here, the degrees and the angles, and nothing would exist. And the Germans understand that. I spent some time over there. But if your father, I think I mentioned this before, is a bricklayer mm -hmm. and your buddy's father is an attorney, they both get the same amount of respect and dignity in their society because they understand that's part of the tapestry of civilization. And it feels more like an artisan over there. I well, mean, maybe it has something to do with all the cathedrals and buildings. And they see who the important person is. Yes. Yeah, back in the Middle Ages, your parents, a woman's parents, would want the girl to marry a carpenter because that's the guy that was more revered, uh, a thatcher, mm -hmm. who puts the thatch roof on. Those are the important people. That would have lots of work forever. Forever. Mm -hmm. And the same way. I mean, even now at this age, this I can go anywhere in the world and, and work as a carpenter. Right, that's true. Anyway, that's true. And I was, and my son always heard me talking about this. So <clears throat> after he went to college, studied English, 
uh, after about a year, he said, Dad, I want to be a plumber. And I bet that made you happy. Oh, I was so, <laughs> so proud. Yeah. So proud. And, uh, and yeah, but he went through the five years apprenticeship, the union. And man, that's tough. Yeah. I had no idea, really, <clears throat> that uh, the union apprenticeship was so demanding. Stuff you had to learn, the angles, the metallurgy, the, um, yes. the, the exams. And there's a lot of people who don't make it through. Right. It's a tough thing to do. Exactly. So if there is no respect at the end, that's uh, that certainly well, it think, makes it a little tougher. Well, what, what keeps them going is the cash. Yeah. Because yeah. you make a fortune. I, I pay my plumber a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. A lot of money. Yeah, you yeah. paid for his big house and sports cars. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Right. I'm okay with that because when I have water gushing all over the floor in the bathroom, I want it fixed. And I want it fixed right now. And I want it fixed so that it won't break again. And, yeah. uh, I, you know, the people that I know can't do that. I have to call a plumber. So Exactly. Yeah. That's that's an interesting perspective. I just wanted to put that out there. I I don't think I've ever had that conversation with anyone else. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Good you're perspective. Welcome. I mean, when I was a single guy, I discovered early on that because I had these skills, it was uh -huh. really an advantage. Yes. <laughs> you know, did all the girls call you to fix things? <laughs> well, no, but when I did fix things, they thought I was Merlin. <laughs> like, how do you know how to do that? Yeah. And to me, it's like, I, doesn't everybody know? I mean, it's, you know, yeah. fixing yeah. a garbage disposal or a heater or something. Yeah. But to them, that was like unbelievable. Yeah. And then I realized that more and more, the older I got, the young people didn't know anything about that stuff. Yeah. They were really out to see when it came to uh, mechanical problems. Yep. Well, I, I think that is absolutely true. Oh, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, maybe maybe we can convince a few people to you know, change their perspective as well. Maybe give the people that are the tradesmen in America a lot more respect. You go right ahead. I'll do my best. I've been doing it 25 years now. Well, you know what? If I influence one or two people, that'll be one or two people and more. If, and if they happen to be in Congress or the Senate, that's helpful. That would be nice, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, try to avoid politics, but you could look at the current president and know that he has no idea how to do anything. He couldn't change a car tire. You know, and that's that's always my bottom line. Can this guy change a car tire? This guy, unfortunately, cannot. Well, that's a question that I ask a lot of women who come in to work for us. Because if you can understand the basics and you can change a tire, I don't know. You might be hands-on enough to to work hard. So um, when you say work for us, what kind of company is it? Uh, we have an RV dealership oh, in Texas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you do these? Yes. A lot of them. Oh, I had no idea. See? Okay. Ah, we're putting it all together. Yeah. So sorry. I guess it was so interested in talking to you. I figured you didn't need to know about me, huh? My mistake. Yeah. Yeah. We have a dealership in Austin, Texas. We started out 
as a manufacturer and manufactured truck campers. So we had nothing but, you know, carpenters and carpenters and everything. And uh, getting harder to find them. Yeah, handful of people. And then we figured out making things was too hard. So we just started buying other people's stuff and selling it. So for 25 years, we have sold other people's products. And now we're a, a reasonably successful dealership in Austin for smaller units. What's it called, your dealership? Princess Craft. Okay. Because that was the brand name that the of the truck camper that we actually manufactured. So the name didn't change. It's just kind of odd for a dealership. Okay, next time I'm in Austin. You need to stop in, say hello. I'll come in. I'll order some donuts. Okay. I promise. I might have to use the men's room, you know. You know what? It's okay. We have, on the road we have two them. of those. Oh, good. So we used to be a bowling alley. And uh, oh, so we bought a, we needed more space. So I bought a bowling alley and. Is there still lanes? No, I wish it would be so fun. Do you still have that length somewhere it exists? Well, what we did, you know, if you think about a bowling alley, the bowling balls have to come up underneath the floor. Right. So the foundation has an 11 inch drop in the middle of it. Oh, okay. So. We put a wall up where the drop is, and that's the uh, actual repair side. And then the sales showroom is on the other side, where the bar and grill was. Oh, Because okay. I felt right at home there. Because I was going to suggest an archery range. Ah, uh, well, Clint is uh, is totally down for that because that is his thing. So yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's actually before. very good. So oh, we've the, got some I've land. Been doing in it the, since I was twelve. Really, really. Well, you know, we've got some land in the back that we just purchased. Maybe we need to think about that. And you there's guys, no can, place, there's no place to do it. You guys can shoot some bows when uh, you shoot when the you arrows. Shoot arrows. That's true. See. <laughs> well, do you, are you a compound bow or recurve or all the above? I primarily shoot compound. I shoot recurve when I'm shooting with my daughter. She's just picking up. She's seven years old. She shoots oh, um, perfect. Genesis bow finger style. So I pull out a recurve and shoot with her. My yeah. wife started out uh, recurve. She now shoots a PSC compound. And my oh, yeah, PSC, they're down in what, Phoenix? Uh, Tucson. Tucson. I, I actually got a, uh, archery certified as a coach in Tucson at the PSC plant years ago. Well, kidding, yeah, because the show that I used to do, Made in America, that was one of the places we visited. Yeah, I loved that tour. That was a that was a neat place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this would have been much better chat with Clinton here because he has so much to say. But <laughs> um, yeah, you should walk on over and talk a bit. Well, but. he's coming to Austin. We'll get him donuts. We'll, we'll get yeah. Shipley's and Round Rock donuts so he can compare. Yes. Hey, we'll have a donut like contest what we'll do you do, call we'll that do the a taste test put the arrows through the hole the donut <laughs> i like it i like it Listen, i think we've got at something time, at times I, I can do it you know yeah, yeah. but that's well, that's then we've got to make it a make it a, you know if you miss it do you have to take a bite or if you hit it do you have to take a bite or both do i just get to take bites I think if you attempt it, you yeah. get to take a bite. How about that? Because we don't want to miss any bites. Yeah. See, I'm so. strictly recurve. You know, uh, that's all I shoot. I've recurve. been looking for years for recurve that would comfortably go to my 31 and a half inch draw length because after 29 inches, it just 
loads so much and I'm used to the let off on a compound, which is really sure. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really made me a weenie. <laughs> you know, I draw an 80 pound bow to here and then it gets easy, you know? Yeah. Um, but I have been looking for something that, that can go to my draw length because that's where I started when I was young with, with the old suction cup arrow, uh, you know, set up, you know, hit the target. I immediately got that thing taken away after Christmas that year though. You, no. you shoot at the, the cat and you shoot at your sister just one time. And yeah, they have no sense of humor about no. those things. <laughs> yeah. But I had, it was a, a friend, a girl's brother was in the special forces mm -hmm. and his speciality was archery. In special forces? Yeah. He's Rambo. Well, he's, <laughs> and I asked him, I said, why would you have archery? He said, to kill the sentries. Yes, because they're quiet, right. silent. So yeah. he taught me. That's where I got my first archery lesson from this guy. See, I was I was the one who dreamed about doing all these things, but everything I dreamed about, I had no one in my family who did them. So I wanted to do archery, get him a archery kit, and nobody go outside with him ever to do it. So I never had anyone to do archery with. I had a, a project motorcycle when I was little no one to work on it with me so i sat there and eventually it just disappeared because i got tired of it sitting there i had no no one to alongside well, I had no uncles uh, none of that mm -mm, mm -mm. Yeah, so that was the same way and so eventually and and also it, it it was it was just a situation where all the things i ever wanted to do i would i would get the thing to get started and no one to come alongside and no way to get away from the house to find a resource who would help me so uh, right but even at the young age mm -hmm. Where would you start? Who do you ask? Uh, right, right. Especially when there's no one in the family, no one in my circle. Um, so what do I do as, a, as an adult? Well, now I live in the age where I can go find my own resources or there's YouTube or something like that. Or for crying out loud, about buy a plane ticket and I go to Tucson to PSE to get trained by, by an Olympic you right. know, coach and get certified. And, and PJ knows that a couple last year, I bought a junker motorcycle because by golly, I'm going to repair a motorcycle. I didn't, couldn't do it then. I can do it now. <laughs> so, yeah. Is it, so is it up and running? Yeah. Yeah. I have to now. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter won't let me ride uh, motorcycles anymore. Yeah. yeah. After I hit the ground at 80 miles an hour. <laughs> See, I have little motorcycles, so they don't go 80 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you wear helmets up in New Hampshire, right? Well, I'm in Texas, but yes, I, oh, I, I do. I thought you said New Hampshire. No, no, I'm in Texas. Uh, I do wear motorcycles. It was a big conversation for me to uh, to do anything with motorcycles because my father died on a motorcycle. So it, me getting one after the fact was a big deal. And, and you have young children. I do. I wouldn't ride a motorcycle. Well, the the key is um, I, now I do ride up to work and back, but that's the only street time I do. These are these are dual sport motorcycles, so I'm looking to ride single track in in between trees and just go out to wild places away from traffic. How old are you now? Forty one. Yeah, you get to the point where you, you put that aside because you you got young daughters, right? Uh, one daughter, one son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to watch them grow up. Yeah. I, I, anyway, because I almost bought the farm. You know, when mm -hmm. my kids were young, mm -hmm. and as I was flying off the motorcycle, the only thing I oh, thought sorry. about 
yeah. was I saw my children's faces. Yeah. And I felt bad that I'll never see them again. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought I was dead for sure. Yeah. So the project was to get one running. I've surpassed that project. So you're probably right. It's, it's yeah, probably had my, had my phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, life is just another mountain to climb. I mean, it really is about just one more thing that you want to do or try. And I, I think your philosophy of just saying, yeah, I just things just happened and I just laid back and went to the next thing. I just didn't worry about it. So that's what Clint does. Clint just says, hey, I'd kind of like to do this. And then all of a sudden he comes in one day and he's doing that because he thinks he might kind of like to do it. That's even how, you know, podcasts and videos and all the filming that he does for us uh, happened. He just said, maybe I'd like to know a little more about this. And that's that's so incredible to me. Yeah, but all the things that are out there to learn, you know, it's fascinating. It is. Like instead of riding motorcycles, I said, okay, I'll teach myself Italian. Yeah, <laughs> so no, so can, you, can you speak Italian, John? Yeah, yeah. It's all over. Mi chiamo Giovanni, non parlo Italiano, That's awesome. What did you say? I said, my name's John, and I don't speak Italian that well. Oh, <laughs> well, well enough to fool me. <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah, I went, I went to Italy and a cab driver said something unflattering about Americans to me. And uh, boy, I put him in his place. Oh, man, that is. Oh, I was cursing his mother. <laughs> All kinds of you know, horrible stuff. But the look on his face was a perfect compilation of shock and anger and on the other side, admiration. It's yes. just how do you know how to say these things? But that's my mother, you know. Yeah. It just it threw him way off. It was really, really satisfying to do that. I was gonna say that is just storybook stuff that you you always dream of. Hey, I know this language. Somebody can say something bad, and I can jump yeah. in there. But I guess it happened. Oh, of course. Very cool. Happens all the time. Well, I don't know. Not to me. Well, go to Italy. I don't even. I don't, <laughs> I don't even speak English very well sometimes. So, uh, do you travel? I uh, I seem to travel a lot. Um, yeah, sometimes for work and sometimes just for fun. And so, for fun, where do you go? Well, this week I've been wandering around Chicago, and before that, I was at Glacier National Park last weekend, um, hiking. Did some great stuff there. What kind of boots? What kind of boots? hiking yeah hey i don't you know little known fact i don't own a pair of hiking boots and i don't own a pair of cowboy boots and i never have what a weird text isn't that weird (laughs) yeah Yeah, it is yeah so why do you ask well um because the boot hiking boot is very important if you're going off on a long hike like glacier national park yes were you wearing just regular sneakers? I, no, I was wearing tennis shoes, yes. I have extremely narrow feet, and it's very difficult to find hiking boots that I can wear. So I think probably, you know, 30 years ago, I gave up. So I just don't own any. 
I should. I, I bet should you, look. if you went on Amazon, you'd find it in a half a second. I bet. I bet I could. I just. I think I gave up years ago. But there's more stuff out there, and since everything's online, I'll get me a pair of hiking boots. How Ask me that next time I see you when you we're get, eating donuts. How about you get some in one of those really cool? Because Austin has handcrafted people who, who make from scratch. Yeah. In Austin, there's so many places where they make boots from scratch. I think I think it's time, PJ. I think you've heard they it. Get custom even boots? I mean it doesn't What's the matter with that? Because I mean you'll you'll see the person who is making them, they'll measure your foot and they will craft it old school style with their hands. Okay, so I know there's people who make cowboy boots like that. I never yeah. thought about hiking boots, but all right, I'm on it. I have a new project. I can't fix a motorcycle and I can't shoot a bow and arrow. But not yet. I've offered not yet. I've offered opportunities for both, PJ. <laughs> it's, uh, well, <laughs> he's an instructor. He's... <laughs> All right. All right. I don't know how we got here, but I will work on learning and doing new things because really that's kind of what we tell people to do every time they walk in our dealership, right? Go have yeah. some fun, do new it's, things. It's the life is too short clause. That's right. I, it's, it is one of my great sayings. So, and the other saying that I love is never say never. So we all think there's things we'd never do. Yeah, I don't know. As I get older, that keeps changing. Yeah, so, exactly. It's, you don't yeah. know. You have no idea. I have no idea what will happen next week. Just don't get in your own way. All right. Well, that will be my John Ratzenberger quote for the rest of my life. Well, that's don't what I, I tell young actors whenever they, and it happens from time to time, any advice you can give, it's just don't get your own way. I, I think it's awesome. You know, we have people come in all the time and they're like, yeah, I've been looking at trailers for like seven years and I'm trying to figure out which one is perfect or when I retire, what I'm going to do. And maybe I'll just say, well, John says, don't get in your own way. And you're kind of doing that. You know, you just yeah. got to just go do something. Right. Yeah, just, it just walk on and take that interview it or does, that it does, audition. It doesn't have to cost money. It's just mm -hmm. stuff you had you thought about, and there's no reason you can't do it. That's right. Well, I'm going to keep an eye out for that book because there's no reason you can't do it, John. And I, I know there is a gazillion more stories, and I'd love to hear them. There's a few. I hope we get to visit again someday, somewhere along the line. All and right. I really appreciate your time today. Well, so thank you. Thank you for been, stopping by. It's been great fun. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that was pretty cool. I mean, we got to talk to John, uh, hear his thoughts about all kinds of things. I mean, a little bit of RVing, a little bit of his history with RVing, but also a bit of his travels around the world. The fact that he's really a skilled carpenter, he's done, you know, quite a number of things. And he obviously has some opinions and perspectives on, on the world as it is and how it got here. So, Thank you so much to John Radensberger for sitting down with PJ, um, for having a delightful conversation. And yeah, hopefully we will actually see John pass through Austin area sometime and maybe we'll be able to get him back on the mic again. Thank you everybody for listening, for joining us for this episode of the RV Small Talk podcast. You can find other episodes and show notes at rvsmalltalk.com. You can find us on social media. Just look up RV, RV Small Talk podcast. That'll work. And we have a YouTube channel as well where you might be able to see John 
talking with PJ, just look up RV Small Talk Podcast on YouTube. We'll be there. In the meantime, take a listen to some of our previous episodes and we'll catch you next time. 